Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going, everybody? Thanks so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I am an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. Really have been enjoying the series on blockchain. I hope you have too. Thank you for those of you who have given me feedback. Um, I, I really think the series-based approach for this show makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think I'll go 100% series from here on out, but uh, I do think the opportunity to have multiple episodes on the same topic from different perspectives allows us to go deeper, but also wider and, and just get uh, a sense of not only the stories, which everybody loves, but also the issue itself. So I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, I, I did a Twitter poll last week about what series might you want to listen to next. So some of you did vote and it looks like the next series will be called sustainability at scale. So how are we implementing sustainability at, at a large enough scale to actually move the needle? So I'm excited about those stories. And if you have any ideas for topics along those lines, I would love to hear them for you. Hey, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, but we are part of the farm and rural ag network. Uh, if you would like to hear other fascinating shows about agriculture and farming, head over to farmruralag.com and check those out. Have been getting some really good feedback on this on this blockchain series, though. Uh, specifically, I wanted to mention, I uh, got a great Twitter message from Andrew Steiner, who explained how he kind of first grasped the concept of blockchain, which I th believe he said he heard on another podcast, which is he, he thought of it like an auditorium full of bookkeepers and somebody over the loudspeaker announces a transaction that takes place and everybody records that identical transaction in each of their ledgers. So you've got one ledger, but it's kept in multiple different places. I thought that was kind of a neat way of explaining it. So thank Thanks, Andrew, for reaching out uh, with that. I wanted to do something for uh, this series. I thought, hey, with the series, we can kind of do a little bit more and go a little bit deeper. So I'm, I'm going to give away a book. Uh, it's, a, it's a book called Blockchain, A Beginner's Guide that I got when I was first interested in this topic. I read it. It's, it's actually more of a pamphlet. You, you will probably read it in one sitting as I did. Uh, it's But it's a really, really good overview of the technology without being too technical. So I'm going to give that away. If you'd like to be eligible to uh, receive that, head over to futureofag.com and you will see uh, a post there about win a free book on blockchain. So I'll, I'll make that determination on February 15th. If you're listening after that, I'm sorry, but uh, I'll make that determination on February 15th, 2018 and send that free of charge, no shipping to uh, somebody in this audience um, who is on our email list. So head over there to, to make that happen for yourself. You're going to love this episode here. We have on the show, David Davies, who's the founder and CEO of AgUnity, uh, which has the AgriLedger, which is a, a mobile app and also a charitable trust that helps farmers in developing countries utilize the blockchain for their own purposes. The results these guys are getting are mind-blowing. And that's my, my daughter in the background. She's excited about it too. Enjoy this interview with David Davies of AgUnity and AgriLedger. They're both essentially the same organization. Now, um, AgriLedger is a charitable trust and AgUnity is a commercial venture. 
And the product we we give farmers, which is a, a mobile smartphone and blockchain application, that's called AgriLedger as well. Now, the reason we have the two entities is we work with very low-income developing world farmers. So farmers that have maybe a couple of acres of land and survive on only a few dollars a day. Um, and we work with NGOs um, like um, Asia Development Bank, Africa Development Bank, IFC, USAID, um, to deploy free smartphones and and um, with the AgriLedger app to these farmers and it helps them improve trust and cooperation. And AgUnity um, is the commercial side of that. And that sort of leads into, I mean, there's a bit more to explain about what AgriLedger does um, after it improved, about improving, how it improves trust and how it actually helps the farmers. But AgUnity is designed so that once the farmers, once we have increased the farmer's income, um, AgUnity enables them to buy products and services, things like solar lighting kits and water pumps and um, be able to get microloans and insurance. And so AgUnity maintains the commercial relationships between those companies. And so we have this two, um, two company structure that facilitates that. Interesting. And, and with uh, AgriLedger, if, if you could maybe just take an example, I know you all have been piloting the, uh, the product. Uh, could you walk us through from a farmer's perspective of kind of what life was like before and then what life's like after based on this product? Oh, sure. Um, so one of the things we did in order to design it, which was a bit unique, is I sent my, my lawyer out to live in the jungle. Um, you see, John's the co-founder, but um, he and I had a couple of companies together, and he was, he was my internal legal counsel. So we sent him off to live in um, a Kenyan village with no floor in his house and no running water for a year. Um, and I, I spent quite an extensive amount of time in Bougainville, New Guinea, so we didn't just sort of design the application um, from our own idea. We worked with the farmers to really understand their, their challenges um, and designed an application. Um, we went back about at least a dozen times on, on the interface design and the way the functionality works. Um, and that's the only reason I think we got to somewhere that got the result as good as it was. Um, the the farmers previously were essentially not able to cooperate because they had no record keeping system. Um, so if I'm a wheat farmer in Kenya, for example, um, there might be a guy with a, a cedar, which, which helps me plant the wheat, but he's not going to seed my, my field for me because he's not really sure I'm ever going to pay him back when I get my harvest in. And in using the New Guinea example, if I'm a coca farmer, I don't want to hand my green coca beans over to a cooperative to ferment them and dry them because I don't really trust the paper receipt. I'm not, I'm not sure that they're actually going to pay me or, or whether the, my three bags of coca beans will actually turn into two by the time I get paid. And that's a prevalent problem that, that um, even when people are trying to do the right thing in these areas, they, um, the corruption and, and not, only, not only intentional corruption, but just simple mistakes. We saw a lot in New Guinea where 
the farmers actually thought they were, you know, by the time they were meant to get paid for something, they'd actually forgotten how much they'd handed over um, because there's no, no method of record keeping. So our application sort of just keeps track of that. It's really the simplest accounting system that works between farmer associations or cooperatives or buyers and the, and the farmers. And in those two pilot projects, we have increased the farmer income by three times, um, literally from one season to the next or within a few months. It, it was just outstanding. We, we never expected that amount of increase to be possible. And the, the increase is because before they would kind of, they would feel obligated to, to do everything themselves so, because they didn't trust anybody. But with this trust, they can get the product to market quicker. Is that it? Yeah. Um, yeah, not just, it, it's more about sharing equipment and sharing resources. But yeah, that, that's essentially it. That when they were doing things by themselves, you know, they're, they're just a victim of everything along the line. You know, the Kenyan example's the best. The Cedar guy really, Really, they couldn't use it because they didn't have the cash at the time they needed to seed because that's the you know it's a long way away from when they're harvesting. Um, then they'd have to harvest by hand, um, and if you've ever seen wheat harvesting by hand, results in results in pulling the wheat out and banging it on a, a piece of plastic, which is really hard work and it damages the wheat. Because if the combine, the guy who's got the combine comes in, firstly the wheat was all different heights because it wasn't seeded with a mechanical seeder. Um, and then the, the combine guys, are, are I don't want to say the word criminal, but they were, so they were putting fire the, the combine bin. They were finding a variety of ways to cheat the farmer. They were getting cash off them up front and then they went paying them after the wheat got sold. So they had a real problem with that part of it. But when you get, you know, we, we try to get groups of 100 farmers together to work as a cooperative, but when you get at least 10 or 20 together, they can rent the combine as a group. Um, even if the combine cheats them, combine guy cheats them a little bit, he's taken maybe a bag off 20 farmers, so it didn't make a huge difference. And it was that ability to share resources and then finally um, to sell together directly to the mill um, because there was a couple of brokers previously who used to buy their couple of bags of wheat and clean them up and sell them to another guy who would sell them to a guy who put them in a truck and then that guy would take them to the mill. And it was all that inefficiency in the supply chain that um, was having an incredible impact on their income. Um, and then we have a wholly different system with the, the cacao, cocoa farmers in, um, in Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea. That's incredible. And so it's it's a shared ledger. And, and this episode actually is going to be falling right in the middle of a series on blockchain. So we've had a little bit of background, but could you give us uh, kind of your take on what is it about blockchain that enables us that maybe the internet would not have enabled? And I think a lot of blockchain solutions um, are trying to foot a square peg into a round hole, to be honest. Um, but this is one where it truly does fit the model. Um, what we use the blockchain for here is having a, a permanent record of trust. So when I'm the farmer and I hand my coca beans to a cooperative, we do a, a transaction between two um, smartphones. We both get the same record of that. And as soon as, as soon as either of us comes online, we write that record, check that both those match. And there's a funny story about that, actually. that still baffles me in a way. When we, 
we didn't tell the farmers it was blockchain for a long, long time. We just told them this is a smartphone. But I still cannot fathom how the Bougainville, which is one of the remotest parts of the world, it's, it's a, an, a quite isolated island in, in Papua New Guinea. Um, at one stage, they came back to us and they said, this is blockchain. This is why they can't, um, can't, 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 can them be changing the record, the hmm. the records? Um, so I'm, I'm doing a very bad interpretation of of pidgin English there. Um, but the the Bougainville farmers speak in a sort of a bridge version of English. Um, they, someone's gone to our website and found it out. Someone's found out enough about blockchain, and they've decided that that was an important part of it. So, without actually telling them, they decided that blockchain was a system that improves trust. And that was a key part of, of why the system worked. Because previously, we'd just been telling them that no one could ever change it, including us. Um, and we actually have a, um, a quite sophisticated um, security mechanism. So we give the phones to the farmers. We give them a free phone. And there's a couple of reasons we do that. One, it's logistically impossible to let them install an app the particular farmers we, we have, it's in, impossible to let them install an app on their own devices because they'll get all manner of phones. Um, they all like, Those phones will be compromised and scanned, and so it, it's just not secure. And it costs you more in effort to install, the, to install an app and, and get it running reliably on the phones than it does to just give them a phone with it all pre-installed and locked down. Um, and we get the phones for $25 at the moment, but it'll be under $20 soon out of China. Um, and they're really good phones. They're, they're 4G dual SIM smartphones with a great camera on them. Um, they're about the same screen size as an iPhone 6. Um, so the farmers get a really good phone. And that, there's, a, there's a great story later is that let's just do a whole lot of other things. Um, and it's actually cheaper than trying to install an app. Um, is to give them the phone. But the most important thing that does is it lets us install a security, a private public key pair um, at the operating system level on the phone, which is in a place where really makes it very difficult to hack unless you get an individual farmer's phone. Um, and then all the farmer's data is encrypted with their private key. And for them to even show AgriLedger, the, the, if they want to even tell us to access the data, they have to give us their public key. So, And I felt that was the morally right thing to do. I, I disagree with the way Facebook and Google and the like own our data. And I think in the case of developing world farmers who can't read, it would be immoral for us to own their data the way other data networks do. So we've created this system where they are true custodian of their data. Everything's encrypted with their key. If they say want to get a you know, insurance on their farm and they have to give their insurance details to an insurance company, then they have to give that insurance company access to their data explicitly. We've got a simple. They, they sort of don't see this as happening, but I'm quite proud of the fact that we've created a security model that is very fair um, to the to the farmers. And, and in the case of, you know, you've got the, uh, the custom seeder that's going to come in and plant the crop for the farmer. So they're, they're both out there. They both have their AgriLedger phones. And, and how's that like physically work? Kind of take us on the scene and kind of tell us how that physically works between the two. 
Yeah, sure. So the, the farmer and the cooperative, or well, the farmer in this case, the guy who's got the cedar, they both have an agri-ledger phone. The farmer, when he wants his field planted, he, he enters something in the planning section that tells him, that tells the cooperative or the cedar guy that there's a couple of farmers that need to be planted here. Um, he'll plan to do it all at once. So that, that involved that, because these farmers have a couple of acres, right? So it's, it's quite um, onerous to come out and, and seed one farm. So the, the cedar guy will plan, I'll come and do these 10 farms today, I'll do these, these next ones. Um, they enter that in. When the cedar guy comes to the farm, they'll agree on how many acres he's gonna plant for them. They do a little transaction phone to phone. So the, the farmer, so in this case, it starts with the cedar guy. He shows the farmer a QR code on his um, smartphone that has all the details of, um, you know, it's going to be a couple of acres. You're going to owe, you're effectively owing me 50 shillings for doing this service. And he shows the farmer that QR code. The farmer scans his QR code with the farmer's camp phone. The farmer then sees the same transaction. He says, yes, I agree to it. He then shows his QR code to the cedar guy who takes a, an image of it. That's sort of done a, a forwards and backwards which to be honest, we don't really do. This is one of the things we discovered from spending a lot of time with the farmers. They're much more comfortable if a transaction goes two ways. They feel it's now in both their phones. Hmm. And then the farmers, you know, at the result of this, the cedar guy seeds the field and the farmer has in his phone a transaction that says, you know, you owe the cedar guy 50 shillings um, and that's locked in the blockchain. So when, when the farmer eventually sells his crop, we're going to take that money effectively out of the farmer's wallet and the cooperative will pay directly back to the, the guy with the cedar. So the cedar guy doesn't have any risk that all these farmers are going to not pay him. He gets paid centrally from the cooperative for all, you know, he might have seeded for 15 farmers on that day. So he's going to get his 2,000 shillings paid directly out of the wheat crops of the farmers. The farmers don't have to remember how much they're meant to pay him. Um, and that's all, you know, just all done automatically, basically. So the cedar, you know, when the farmers go back to the cooperative to collect the, the money for their wheat, they get that with the deduction from the cedar and from the, the harvester, and the cedar and harvester guys can just turn up and get paid. And it's a it's a secure system for everybody. That's incredible. And I, and I know there's a lot of confusion out there among blockchain versus Bitcoin versus cryptocurrencies. That that transaction, so that guy gets paid in in local currency. Is that right? Yes, no, we, we very specifically don't use any cryptocurrency in this. Um, and it, that, that's, there's a couple of important reasons for that. Um, one, we don't want to confuse the farmers by doing anything other than record keeping. So we use the blockchain as a permanent ledger of transactions, and that's the simplest use of the blockchain. Hmm. And the other reason we don't use um, any cryptocurrency is we have a hugely ambitious plan for this we've we've bitten off way more than we can chew we currently have i think 16 projects in 12 countries in our pipeline for 2018 um, and so we don't want to be regulated and we don't want to try to do anything outside our core scope so if we were involved in cryptocurrency every time we go into a currency country we would need to deal with regulation and how we're, how we're approved at the moment, we are effectively our bookkeeping system. So we, we're treated by countries like QuickBooks. 
because the cooperative actually holds, the cooperative or the farmer association, they actually hold the money on behalf of the farmers. And in most countries, cooperatives are an age-old institution and they can do kind of banking transactions. Um, so by us being a record-keeping system for farmers and cooperatives, we're not regulated. And that allows us to achieve our goal of rolling out into as many countries as quickly as possible. That's incredible. I, I mean, I, I did a, a short uh, trip about a month long in Liberia where I interviewed a series of farmers. We were looking for a connection between um, technology use like fertilizer and, and hunger issues. And I think what we would have been a lot more productive if we were looking at the connection between record keeping and hunger issues because record keeping was so rare, but the ones that were doing it were always the ones that were more successful. Um, and so you're for, you're not forcing in a bad way, but you are, there's inherent record keeping in the system rather than them having to figure that out on their own. Uh, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and it works. We haven't, we haven't, a fertilizer and, and seeds and implements, that's a huge part of what we will do in the, in the big picture. Um, because when those individual farmers need to buy fertilizer, they're buying like half a bag and they're getting an incredibly bad price for it. Um, because they have to go to a shop and and the logistics of the shop is pretty bad too you know that that's a shop with no capital they often have to stock a few bags of fertilizer for you know potentially for a year before some farmer comes and buys it so the whole supply chain around the in, the inputs to farming is really bad in 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 the really underdeveloped areas so we allow the, the cooperative, who's got 100 farmers in it, to buy a supply of fertiliser. Often, because they're buying enough, the fertiliser company would um, give that to them on consignment. They sell it to the farmers, they collect the money from the farmers, and they make one payment to the fertiliser company. So it makes it easy for the fertiliser company. It makes it easy for the farmer to order it because they can offer an order it in advance um, because the cooperative sort of acts as an insurance that the, everyone's going to get paid. And that brings the cost down incredibly, um, often to, to half the cost of um, fertilizers is what we're expecting this will do for the, the really small farmers. Wow. It, and did I hear you right earlier that, that in some cases you were able to 3x the farm income um, by using AgriLedger? Yeah, well, that's not um, going to happen everywhere, but we were, I think we were lucky that we the two first pilots we chose um, we just hit on the right set of circumstances and both those more than increased the farmer income. So just the rough numbers are in Kenya, um, our average farmer was earning about 300 US dollars a season. There's two wheat seasons in a year um, before uh, Ag Unity. Um, and after we tipped that to just over a thousand dollars for a season, we, we oh, took wow. their their yield from about four to six bags to acre per acre up to about 15 bags per acre. Um, they had a little bit of cost for the cedar and the combine harvester, and then they got a, a quite considerably better price for the, for the wheat at the mill. So um, the Kenyan numbers worked really well. Um, and that's life changing to be honest that, you know, if a farmer is normally used to having $300 half a year and he suddenly got a thousand dollars, um, they'd never seen that amount of money in their life, most of them. It was, you know, these are farmers who'd never had a smartphone before. So it was just fantastic. Um, you know, John was right in the middle of that. It was fantastic to see 
um, the changes to their lives and what they were doing with it and what they were planning to invest for the future. Because not only does uh, a single lift like that not only helps them at the time, but it creates a real sense of empowerment in the village and, and the motivation that, look, you know, if we, you know, cooperate and work together and do these things, we can not only get to $1,000, but now they're talking about planting coffee and tea and, and getting themselves to four or $5,000 in a few years. Um, and that's a really healthy income in Kenya. So it's, um, that was just incredible to see. And then the other one is um, Bougainville in Papua New Guinea, where they um, are coca bean farmers. If you've, um, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen coca beans, it comes in like a big pod and, and they're a bunch of slimy beans. They kind of look like big baked beans. Yeah, yeah. Um, the problem with coca beans is they're not, green beans are worth about a dry weight, about a thousand US a tonne. Um, but if you ferment them and properly dry them, and that process is a bit tricky, you can, you can make a lot of mistakes in the fermentation and drying process um, and downgrade the beans. And then most of the low quality beans ends up in your you know, supermarket chocolate from Cadbury or Nestle or, or one of those. Um, but there's a huge demand for high grade sort of Belgian style chocolate. And if you ferment and dry just right, um, you get the high grade prices, which are so Nestle Cadbury, they buy between two and two and a half thousand a ton dry rate. So just by getting the farmers to ferment and dry, we can double their income. Mm. And then um, if you're getting high grade chocolate, that actually goes 4,000 a ton is is a pretty good price, but it goes as high as 8,000 a tonne if you make really boutique chocolate. So what we're trying to do is take these farmers that used to be getting $1,000 a tonne and head them up into that three, four, five thousand 5,000 range. So the numbers in New Guinea were roughly farmers were getting $35 a month and we took them up to about $130 a month um, just by cooperating to to ferment and dry together um, and then selling sort of in bulk. Wow. And, and the reason why they didn't kind of cooperate before is that they didn't have a system for keeping track of whose was what and who owed what to whom. Is that ba the basics yeah. of it? Yeah, basically the farmers would be reluctant. Like, you know, most, a lot of farmers in, in Bougainville and other parts of the Pacific, they have coca trees. They'll, they'll harvest it and then they'll have green beans. Now, unless they've got drying fermentation boxes and dryers and they know how to do it they really can't ferment and dry themselves now if i'm a farmer with a couple of bag green beans that i've harvested i really don't want to hand that over to someone unless i've got a you know unless i'm sure they're going to pay me because in those areas often they won't later um and so the farmers were firstly the biggest problem in, in new guinea was waste um the farmer had no way of telling anyone he had three bags of green coca beans and, and green coca beans rot really quickly um, in the tropics. So they'd, they'd often harvest and they'd have green beans and no one would come to buy them and they'd just rot beside the road waiting for a buyer. Um, so the Agdaledger app allows the farmer to say, I've got beans, someone come and collect them and the cooperative can organise to send the, the tractor around and pick up the beans for all the farmers. And then instead of, then the second problem happened because the buyers and this, this in New Guinea, they weren't really being predatory. The buyers just didn't have capital. 
So even though the farmer's green beans are worth, you know, a thousand a ton um, dry weight, the, the buyers would, would often be giving them a fraction of that just because the buyer had no money and the farmer was insisting on getting cash at the time. Um, so now what happens is the farmer hands to the cooperative. Firstly, he tells the cooperative, I've got some green beans. And then he hands them over to the cooperative. They do that same QR code to QR code, back and forth transaction, phone to phone. They both see that they've got, a, um, got the transaction. And then when the cooperative, this, this is quite important with the, um, the cacao, um, when the, the cooperative takes the coca beans back to the cooperative and puts them in fermentation boxes and then finally dries them and sells them, the farmer can actually see on his phone where the, his beans are in the process. So he sees them, effectively he, he can see a record that your beans are now in the fermentation box. Oh, they're now being dried up. They've just been sold and your three beans has just turned into... 200 kina, you can come to the cooperative and collect your money anytime. Um, and then each batch he hands over is in a system. We, we use a, a metaphor of a basket in our blockchain. Mm. And so each time he hands it over, it's in a basket. And what's in that basket changes. So the farmer can see the changes, and that's what creates the trust. That he doesn't feel his, his beans have disappeared off into the black hole, and he knows what's happening to them and, and, and can see them ultimately turning into cash. That's interesting. And that, and that actually speaks to another question I have about blockchain. Um, so how are those, how are those transitions recorded? So when it goes from a pod to, you know, starting the processing process, how, how is it recorded that he knows the process has moved forward? Okay. So we send essentially the way our blockchain works. Um, and it, we, we took a, um, a good blockchain technology and we adapted it heavily um, for our purpose, which is, is simplifying it effectively. So we've created the concept of a basket. So every transaction, a basket is essentially a wallet in a blockchain. Mm -hmm. So a farmer puts a transaction into a basket and that's um, say his three bags of coca beans. And that basket is like a shared ledger between him. If you think in accounting terms, that's like, um, yeah, an accounting ledger, mm -hmm. um, but that's shared between him and the cooperative. So both he and the cooperative see that same basket as it moves through the cooperative. And then when the cooperative, say, puts the beans into the fermenter, they update their blockchain. Sorry, they update their app and say, I've now put, mm, I've now put Bridget's um, coca beans into the fermentation box and they've been in the fermentation box for three days. So Bridget now sees that same record in her basket as what the farmer's done. And then the you know, fermentation's finished, I'll put them on the dryer and then they'll update it to say, now Bridget's coca beans are on the dryer. And Bridget will see that as well. Um, and then that transparency between the two parties is, is what creates the trust um, on the transaction. So an interesting point is that we really simplified what a blockchain can do. We, 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 made, um, we made this blockchain node that it runs up on a, a Linux server very easily. So we, we put them up in a cloud service. And we discovered actually by simplifying it and going to this basket and you transform items within the basket. Uh, and ultimately you can transform them in different things. So you've got um, green beans come to fermented beans, come to dried beans, come to money. Um, so we have a way of changing the, the nature of what that is, but it always has a record of what it was before. And we found that that's actually, 
made the blockchain much more useful for a variety of um, agricultural and other purposes. So we now have um, seven active um, partnerships where we are licensing our simple blockchain um, for other purposes. And that's right from the red meat industry in Australia. That's a good topic for the, what we're doing around the red meat traceability is a great topic for another day. Um, we're using it for merino wool clip. We're using it uh, and then for a couple of really left field um, ideas of one is for um, adventure travel coupons. It, it, the model works very well for that. Hmm. And also for uh, indie cinema, indie film bookings in cinemas. So there's, there's a couple of um, uh, very, uh, away, very far away from agriculture um, <laughs> uses for our the way we've particularly implemented a blockchain because it's just really simple to run up a couple of nodes. You've got a permanent ledger and you can start using this basket and, and transformation metaphor for a, um, to, to quickly implement a blockchain in a lot of circumstances. And I know you mentioned earlier, you said a lot of the applications people talk about with blockchain, it seems kind of like to you, like squitting, uh, fitting a square peg in a round hole. Can, can you uh, mention any of those that you think seem kind of far-fetched? I won't, I won't name names because that would be a bit rude. And, no, no, not specific names. I just use my applications, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, uh, in some ways I'm a huge fan of Ethereum. In other ways, I'm not a fan of what a lot of people use Ethereum to do because I believe that there's a lot of people trying to use smart contracts where there's frankly a better way. I mean, a lot of instances of smart contracts, you can have a cloud service and use a blockchain whether it's Ethereum or something else, as a, as a permanent ledger. You don't need to try to build the smarts into a smart contract. And I think that epitomises what, what is one of the real risks in the, in the industry, that people are trying to use it for something that it was never really the best um, technology for. So we see people doing simple agricultural transactions as smart contracts, um, and that that creates a whole lot of negative implications. One, that the, the data is sort of spread across a blockchain. It's not as usable as it would be in a cloud service. Um, we, we see a lot of, um, and, and that's simply not the best way to do it. Blockchain is a very good, um, a very um, game-changing technology for where you have to have an independent source of truth. There, there really is nothing that does that as well. Um, and so it should be used in that mechanism and there's cases where smart contracts are really smart where it will really <laughs> excuse the pun but um, when you need to do a transaction and you need to ensure a payment happens on the back end of it that simple part of a smart contract I agree with that but I, I see people using it for very elaborate things where you could simply build a traditional cloud service application and tag a blockchain on it and you don't need to to make all that happen in a blockchain node. Gotcha. Yeah, using blockchain only for the part that, that you need that independent source of truth. Yeah, horses for courses. And I mean, part of that is is I'm I'm quite old. I, I sort of I um and I'm I, I worked most of my life in technology, so I um, I remember the advent of SQL databases and. I remember the hype around that, that you could do all these great things with it and people going from B-tree and flat file structures to SQL. This was a revolutionary game changer. And in the end, it just becomes a commodity, right? Now we don't talk about um, 
my I, we don't talk about the fact that Facebook is built on a SQL server. Um, it's it's irrelevant. It's a piece of technology we've used, and and blockchain is heading that way. It will be a, a piece of technology that used as as much as we use SQL server databases or TCP/IP protocols now. It'll just become a commodity. But we're still in that hype cycle where everyone thinks it's the the be all and end all of everything. Well, David, I've gone way beyond the time I asked you to give me, and I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are. I hope you will consider being on the show again because this has been extremely fascinating, and, and your stories of, of the pilots are, are exciting. Uh, how, how can listeners to this program support you and what you're doing? Oh, well, firstly, um, Ag Unity on, on Facebook and Twitter. We love having people following us, and we get really cool stories coming out of this. We're about to do something really big with Coca Traceability. Um, where we'll have QR codes on chocolate bars that trace it right back to the original farmer. Um, we've got a really a couple of really exciting things like that happening. A couple that I, I can't mention. Um, so we, we'd like the the followers on 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 this, um, and there'll be some really good ways to help developing world farmers coming out of that. That I I can't tell at the moment, but I'd say yeah, definitely follow us Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Um, it's Agri Unity A G R I Unity. Um, is the Facebook there, Facebook and Twitter, and Ag Unity on on, on LinkedIn. Um, and we enjoy all the support. Um, we, we, we greatly appreciate all the support we can get around these things. Hey, if that doesn't get you excited about the potential for blockchain, I, I really don't know what will. I, I thought that was just such a fascinating story about how this technology could be used in agriculture and to help those uh, that really could use the help. I mean, 3Xing farm income in one year is, is just staggering to me. So makes me really excited about this. Glad we're doing this series. We're going to continue it on next week with another interesting startup in the world of blockchain in agriculture. So stay tuned. I think you'll enjoy and make sure you head over to futureofag.com to get uh, eligible to win this free book on blockchain. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com. That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.